1: But yeah, it was like such an interesting start to that decade because it really humbled me. You had plans, you had a vision, and then in the blink of an eye, a decision's made, and the plans and the vision shatter down, and you have to kind of rebuild them back up.
0: Hello, welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is the podcast exploring the chaos, confusion, and clarity that comes with life in our 30s. I'm Bridget Hustweight. I'm back with you after a bit of a break. Had to attend to some other work projects, and I've just had to look back in my calendar to see what I can share with you, um, what's been up in my world in the last month. Actually, do you know what? A lot has happened. I had a root canal. Ugh. Um, I'll have to go back again. It was meant to be over three sessions, but now I have to go in for a fourth, and I'm literally sitting in that chair for like 90 minutes and to an hour and 45 each time, mouth open, the last time I went in, which was a couple of weeks ago, I am seriously like, uh, I'm the walking, talking, wake up Jeff, like purple wiggle, like the OG Jeff. I will fall asleep anywhere. I was fallen asleep in the dental chair and they had to keep waking me up to tell me to keep my mouth open. Just, I don't know, as soon as I have any kind of a reclining chair, I'm out. I'm the ultimate passenger princess. I have fallen asleep at festivals, sitting upright. I did it splendor this year. There's a photo on my Instagram. Um, But yeah, root canal. I love that. That's the first thing that I thought of that I had to tell you about my last month. Um, But I also, yeah, I went to the Great Barrier Reef. So I mentioned that before the podcast went on a break. I went with Garnier and it was seriously like I reckon it's probably the highlight of the year for me this year has been so crazy I'm just having the best time and uh, you know what's also really nice every now and then I get messages from people that I know and also people that I don't know who just say like hey bridge just want you to know that I love seeing you live your best life like looks like you're thriving I'm like thank you and yes I'm literally having the best professional year of my life like just everything that I've been able to experience this year um, yeah, I, and I know, I know I've said it a few times on the podcast, but just makes me really feel like I've made the right decision as to like where I want to be heading with my career. So yay, Great Barrier Reef. It was just amazing. I can't really share heaps on it, but Ganya have something pretty special lined up in a couple of months. And it was just such an experience, like staying on Hayman Island, going to Lady Elliot Island, which I didn't even know existed, but she's like this gorgeous island on the southern tip of the. Of the reef and like an eco resort. So it can only accommodate like 150 overnight guests. The water there is so clear. Oh, also the planes, like you can only take tiny planes there, and the runway is grass. Like it is just a small, small strip. It's so wild. Um, but yeah, I went for a snorkel, which I was nervous about because I'm not a strong swimmer, but my kit was iconic. I had like the full wetsuit, the flippers. I had, I had a noodle and I wasn't the only one, but I was proudly repping my noodle. Um, I think it's more so the anxiety, like I can kind of panic in water. But there was a lot of personal growth and development on this trip in terms of just like floating in the sea. So love that for me. But this trip has also made me really want to move somewhere warm and near the water. Like I love Melbourne and it doesn't help that we've just come out of winter, but I do feel like I'm a happier person when I'm in the sun and near water and I just want to be in a more scenic setting. I don't know. It is definitely a dream one day to move in a, move to a more beachy, warm place warmer climate and not even having to be in the water though I just like being near it like walking sitting at the beach that kind of stuff so yeah that was amazing and you'll see more about that on my Instagram in a couple of months uh what else I spent some time down Aries Inlets uh Oscar and I were also super invested in The Hunted which was on channel 10 um It's like fugitives on the run across Victoria. Just, I don't know, we were so silly and just like so hooked on the show, so invested. And we also just watched season six of Alone on SBS Demand, which I was pretty meh about at the start. Like Oscar was trying to explain it to me and I was like, whatever, like, I don't know if I like it, but let's just watch it. And I was absolutely hooked by the end. If you're not across it, Alone is kind of, well, it's like a reality show. It's like, you know what? It's like Survivor on steroids, right? So a bunch of survival experts attempt to find food and shelter and water as they um, are kind of dropped off in really remote locations and live alone. And it's dangerous. Like it's full on. This season they were out in the Arctic it was so brutal and kind of graphic too. You see them hunt animals and stuff. So if you don't like that, then probably don't watch it. But I just found it really fascinating. It was like seeing what it used to be like for humans, you know? So I really enjoyed watching Alone. Again, that was on SBS demand. If you want to suss it, we just watched season six. Um, But yeah, look, that is a super quick snapshot into my last month, but we got to get back into the swing of things. So I've got like 10 more episodes for you this year on the podcast before summer and then going to resume it again in 2024. This episode is such an insightful conversation and it's timely as we head into Father's Day this weekend. I wanted to chat to Sean Zeps, who is a podcaster, a content creator and the author of Not Like Other Dads. It is an incredible memoir on how Sean navigates the heterosexual parenting world and documenting firsthand what happens when the parenting script, which has been, you know, hundreds of thousands of years in the making simply doesn't apply he gives you such a generous insightful taste of queer parenting being in a same-sex relationship having kids that are growing up with two dads and I just loved hearing how Sean viewed his mother growing up and his own maternal desires but also how he's internalized homophobia influenced those you know parental aspirations I suppose you also will hear the unsolicited advice that he does get as a queer parent and his experiences with mother's groups and just how different things are in Australia because Sean is originally from the States so you'll hear that in his accent of course but yeah I hope you enjoy this conversation I think he's such a a wonderful chat and highly recommends his book I'll put all the details in the show notes of this episode But for now, let's get into it. Figuring Out 30 with Sean Zeps. Sean, welcome to Figuring Out 30. Thanks for joining me on my pod.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm a big fan of your book and it's been out for a few months now. What was release day like? How did you spend the day that your book came out into the world?
1: It was really romantic. I woke up at 5.30 to my children screaming. I made them breakfast. I got them ready for school. The thing about parenthood, is the kids don't go easy on you when you have a book launch, babe, you know? (laughs) So it was just a completely normal day, I will say, getting a chance to go out to the bookstores and, and seeing them, not just in the store, but the first bookstore I went to, it was in the window. And when I walked in, it was right there in the front. That was obviously a beautiful pinch me moment. One of those moments that anyone who writes for a living or even wishes to write for a living dreams of I'm a huge bookstore fan I will go to every bookstore if I pass one I go into it I buy books constantly and I take my kids once a week easily and so it was just such a special day
0: Oh my gosh. That is actually huge on release day to like see your book in the window. That's like straight to the top. That's amazing. Well, you, you know, raised so many wonderful and confronting and really important talking points that are stemmed from your writing and experience as a parent, um, which I'm keen to dive into. But I want to start with this question that I I love starting the pod with and it's expectation versus reality. So let's just kind of wind back to baby Sean growing up, what you had envisioned for yourself by the age of 30, and then what was the reality of your life. At 30. So let's start with expectation.
1: It's a dark answer, but I think valuable for allies and members of the heterosexual community who might not know a lot about queer people or might not have a ton of queer friends. When I was growing up, I didn't see examples of me in the media, I didn't have Sean's who were married with children to look up to. And so, for most of my life, I thought your fantasy of one day becoming a parent or, or finding love isn't actually worth dreaming about because it just simply won't be a reality. And so, when I thought about my 30s, I thought about it being completely wrapped up in either lies. So, I will get married, but it will be to a woman. And by in my 30s, I'll have children, but it will be. A constant performance. So that was one option. And then the second option, which I guess is the darker bit, is I won't be here by my 30s because I won't survive. A lot of the narrative when I was a kid around gay people was death. And so, yeah, it's funny. Like when I was a really, really young kid, all I wanted was exactly what I now have in my 30s. But for such a long time, for decades, I just didn't allow myself to dream of it. And so, yeah, it's it's unfortunately dark, but when I think about where I am today, I'm able to kind of go all the way back to the initial fantasy, long before social norms or expectations or homophobia comes into the picture, long before you dream about sexuality or gender. And all I wanted to do was be a mom. I just wanted to be a mother, like more than anything. I loved my mom. I loved my grandmothers. And so I hoped... In this fantasy land, that I could have little nuggets running around and have a career and have a husband, and that's exactly <laughs> what I have now. I'm not a mother, but hey, I, I am the primary parent, and I am a father who mothers. And so, in we weir- in a weird, sadistic roller coaster ride to getting here, I, I do have exactly what I had originally dreamed of.
0: Wow! So, when you like, when you did approach thirty, I guess, did you kind of have any moment where you looked back and were you like, I didn't think I'd I'd be here, like,
1: mm. yeah, it's interesting. So I would have preferred to have kids later. My husband is ten years older than me, and so he was approaching forty, and I was approaching twenty when we had kids. So I was twenty nine, and he was thirty nine, and he was more clock ticking. He was like, "I want to get on this journey. I don't want to, you know, be at my kids' graduation in my sixties kind of." And so I really had to do the work to go, okay, I kind of thought you would wait until you were in your late 30s, early 40s to have kids, and now you're going to be a parent in your early 20s. But I remember looking into like the 30s decade having a fantasy around it being work-related, like really taking my career to the next level, giving all my focus and energy, having learned so much in my 20s, this will be the time. And then having to just recalculate, which I think happens for a lot of people in their 30s where life events occur, you feel like you know, you've learned in your 20s and 30s is supposed to be where you capitalize on it. And then I had to go, uh uh-oh, you're going to need to reimagine everything, start from scratch become a stay-at-home parent, walk away from your career, move to a new country, which I would not recommend. Um, All of those things happen at the same time. I recommend you do all those things. Just don't do them all at the exact same time. And so I was meeting with my therapist and she gave me this long list of all the things in life that, that usually shake people to their core. And she was like, one of these things can destroy you and rebuild you and you're doing like four of them at the exact same time. And so no wonder life is a little tricky, but yeah, it was like such an interesting start to that decade because it really humbled me. You had plans, you had a vision And then in a blink of an eye, a decision's made and the plans and the vision shatter down and you have to kind of rebuild them back up.
0: When all of that was happening though, and you had to readjust and make all these changes, did you quickly realize, oh, what I had envisioned wasn't the be all end all? Like I just got to make do with this. And did you still have a kind of gut instinct that you're like, this is going to work out?
1: It's interesting. The start of that decade was riddled with quite challenging mental health issues. And so to be honest with you, I don't know that I was capable of like mm. analyzing in real time and even motivate, like self-motivating myself that this is going to be fine. I think I was so wrapped up in, and I, I hope this resonates with a lot of people, the plan not working that I was almost down on myself constantly. Like you had a vision and it's not happening and you're falling behind. Instead of living in a state of flow, which is you can't predict every element of your life. You don't know what's going to happen with your family or your friends. You don't know who you're going to fall in love with or what deaths are going to occur or what job might randomly present itself. When I look to the middle of my 30s, I look back and go, if you had just accepted what came your way, if you were just open to it... you probably would have been so much more successful, not just professionally, but personally. But I think in that early year, I was so consumed as so many of us are with the start of any decade with where should I have been, which is nonsense, complete nonsense. Where did I think I would be and where should I have been? And I did spend a lot of that year wasted going, this isn't what it was supposed to be, which is not a good place to be in. It just isn't. Instead of just, opening up your arms and going, where am I? It's out of my control in so many ways. And what am I open to? Am I putting out into the universe that I'm accepting of new paths, new friendships, new career opportunities? And it took probably two years before I was like, okay, open up, babe.
0: It's crazy how much fear is almost conditioned into us in some weird way about not only approaching 30 but just the whole concept of aging and having to have these things ticked off and I mean beyond maybe personal on I guess beyond professional stuff and personal too but like what's your, what was your overall uh, relationship with aging? And have you seen how much that's changed to like how you look at it now? Cause I mean, for like, especially for women, like we're just like, oh shit, like lines and you know, like I'm saggy now. I'm well, not saggy, but like, I can see a little bit of sag, you know, like that, that, kind of shit. Like, have you had any of that kind of stuff?
1: Oh, totally. I think so much of the conditioning that occurs for us in relationship to age, is attached to our parents and who they were at specific times in your life as a child. And then that becomes the marker for whatever that age is. And so for our generation, our parents in their 30s had children and an established life and a routine, and it was worked out. My parents had me in their early 20s. And so by the time they were in their 30s, we had relocated. I was turning 11. You know, by the time they were my age, there were two other siblings. They had careers that they were able to focus on because we were older, and they literally were ten years younger than me when they, when the families began, basically. And so it's funny; it's almost like we have, or for me, I have my gold standard as exactly who they were, and so I'm always basically a decade off. And so I think of myself and my thirties and what I should have accomplished and what I should look like. And I look at it in line with them instead of recalibrating and say, Hey, the world has changed. People are having kids later. Women are working in a way that my mother and her girlfriends would have not been. They were all primary parents. They were all stay at home supported by their husbands. And so I guess like what the little thing that creeps into my ear back then was you should be younger, fitter, healthier than you are kind of energy. I think I do experience the same exact tension that women feel in opposite. So instead of feeling pressure for magazines to be thin, feeling pressure from the media to have a perfect beat of makeup and knowing exactly how to pull a look together so that you look 10 out of 10 every time you step out of the house – What men are absorbing, even from the homosexual variety, is bulk, is huge muscle, is mass, is definition. And so there is that game of when I had kids, stepped away from work, stopped going to the gym, and then I filled out the dad bod. I was still seeing a constant stream, especially in the media landscape where I work a constant stream of examples of what Australia thought attractive was. And it most definitely wasn't the dad bod. Sure. On social media, you'd hear, you know, people now and then usually girls going, yes, dad bod slay. But those guys weren't on the cover of GQ or men's health. And so I think I went through a period where I felt like I had this postnatal body And even though that's very much a woman conversation, I know that a lot of men experience it too. And so it took me a long time where I would like look in the mirror and go, what happened to you? Your 20s are really gone. Uh, You don't have the motivation anymore. You don't have the time anymore. How are you going to get back to it? And it took until this year, literally 35, to go, I feel I have the time now to dedicate to getting a body you're proud of. But in the back of my head is still that example, an unrealistic Mm. example of looking at me and then looking at Zach Efron and going, well, we're the same age. Why does he look like that? And I look like this.
0: Also like money though. Like <laughs>
1: example, you know, and, and no children. Let's yeah, throw that out
0: there. 10%. That's so insightful though. And I, when you mentioned, yeah, like the similarities in terms of, I guess those insecurities that women face, I mean, in terms of the parenting, like what you have kind of experienced, there was a part, and I probably wanted to get into this further in the conversation. You're one of those people, Sean, like I had fucking like pages of questions and I'm like, where do I go? Like, I'm just zigzagging. Like there's so much that I want to ask you, but um, actually I'll get to it in a minute. So maybe we'll just set up the, like the parent, the desire to be a mother. Let's start with that because you, you know, go straight into it. You're dropping icons. Um, Miss Teapot, Dee Dee Pickles, Carol Brady fucking lived when I I was reading that so what was it about being a mother and I guess I mean I guess it's probably obvious in the sense by the the internalized homophobia that you noted about um being a gay dad but the mother image that just you know drew you in so much do you want to kind of touch on that
1: yeah it's important to acknowledge that while I'm gay I'm not non-binary and I uh, identify as a man I love being a man Oftentimes when people read that first chapter, they think that maybe I'm going to come out at some point along the journey as as non-binary. It's not the case. Um, The reason I think that's an important point is that as a young boy, long before sexuality or gender gets brought into things, I picked up on the fact that women were the unsung heroes. I picked up to the fact that they were the ones getting everything done. But why that the big why is I had a really great dad who praised my mom constantly. I had a father who acknowledged the amount of work she did. I had a father who constantly was like, we, we'd be nothing without you. Where would we be without you? Listen to your mother. Like, you know, how was Christmas? We owe all this to your mother. So there was just this constant stream from him where I thought if I had a choice between going away to work each day, coming back sitting on a couch, helping out with some of the stuff around the house, or raising the next generation, pulling the home together, helping to plan activities, being creative, thoughtful. I just really wanted that option. And I don't know if it has anything to do with gender. I think it's more of an observation of roles. And no matter what your gender is, there are women who are not natural mothers, and there are men who were born to be dads. And we know this. And yet there's so much pressure on women all being naturals and so much pressure on men to be more of a supporting figure. And for me at a young age, I just was like, that's what I want. And so most of my life was spent watching this mother I had, who was just such a good mom a Mary Poppins in so many ways and thinking, I'm just going to acquire all those skills.
0: I love that so much. And oh my God, it's like, I love your dad (laughs) and but that should be the standard and you're so right when you say about how that can influence someone's I guess someone's desire to be a parent too like I know a lot of women who are like I don't want to be a mum and I mean I've even had these thoughts too like it I'm I'm currently another book that I'm reading right now is women without kids right (laughs) one thing and when I look at my upbringing I don't think my mum was celebrated half as to what she should have been in that role so for me I look at a mother and I'm just like fuck that like at the like yeah. I, I bounce between like i i think i want kids but I, a lot of it's holding me back being like i don't want to sacrifice everything that i've been working on i don't think it's going to be fair like yeah it's just so interesting you know i mean
1: are you wrong <laughs> because to be honest if our government stepped it up like other governments in other countries and said we're going to really support women who walk away from work we're going to mandate strong Financial support systems. We are going to praise, not judge parents with children. We're going to figure out support systems, villages, community activities that make it easier to be parents, and we're going to reward them somehow, mm-hmm. like parenting awards that are loud and proud from the government. Like if those things happen, maybe people would look at it as an option. It's kind of like being a teacher. It's like, a thankless job that's underpaid, why would any of the next generation want to become one? Instead of us going, wait a second, this is one of the most important jobs. Let's pay them more. Let's figure out ways to support them better. Yeah. So I, I don't... Blame young people who look at the options and go, why would I want to do those things? Yeah, like
0: thanks, but no thanks. And even nurses like post-pandemic, yes. like who the yes. hell is gonna be signing up to be a nurse right now? Like I'd love to see the enrollment stats for that after lockdowns and everything. Like I you you'd need to pay me a hell lot more money to do that kind of shit. So yeah, yeah you're so right. Maybe if we Fast forward, you know, you're growing up and you kind of really lean into these roles. You're a babysitter, you're a professional manny. How was it kind of navigating that, I guess, as a teenager and maybe like opening up conversations and actually vocalizing that to other people?
1: I have a lot of cousins, so I was always around young kids. And when you have that skill set and people ask you to babysit and then you have that skill set, naturally When you have that skill set, it's easier to make money and apply for jobs in that space, which is why I worked at the aftercare program and why I became a professional nanny, Manny. Um, And so along that journey, I don't think I really connected that necessarily to parenthood. It was more like you have these skills, you're really good with kids. I've always had a superpower of connecting with children exactly where they are. I think a lot of adults misremember their own childhood or think kids don't know anything. I'm an adult. I have always been able to go, where are they developmentally? Where are they specifically? Two is different than four, which is different than six, which is different than eight. And so I've always just had the skill to get down to their level and talk with them, not at them. And so naturally you just kind of like go along the journey. When I went to school, I originally was studying child psychology because I thought, you have the skill, you enjoy it. But it's funny, I didn't connect that to parenthood because I didn't think I could be. It's so funny. Another important reminder, if you can't see yourself, you can't be yourself. And because I knew I was gay, there was just no way that I was going to be a dad. So of course, you might as well use these skills- in another beneficial way and so for me it was i'll be a great uncle and i'll be a child psychologist or i'll be a teacher or something i'll leverage this to make money but it's not going to be a gateway drug to parentville
0: and even like the conversations with with josh love of your life um when you were kind of like shutting down the ideas of kids and stuff so what was the moment where you fully embraced that as a thing that you wanted to you know actually go for
1: yeah. So I was living in New York City. Josh and I were falling in love. And originally the conversation had been him saying I want to have kids one day and then me saying you should find another partner then because that's not well, one, it's just not a feasible dream. Like, why are you wasting your time? Like, how are we are these these gay people? We can't even get married. Like, it's just gonna be so complicated. But then the world started to change, right? Like right in front of my eyes. So Josh and I meet in two thousand eleven. And in 2012, 13, 14, 15, gay marriage is being legalized, not just in my state that I was living in or the state that I grew up in, but the entire country. And then slowly but surely what happens when gay marriage gets legalized is you have people that are following a more traditional path. They're legally getting married, and then they're starting to pursue adoption or fostering or surrogacy like we did. And so you're walking down the street in New York City and that internalized homophobia that sits at the bottom of your belly that tells you this isn't an option for you, it's not possible, well, it's being confronted by the rude reality of look across the street, there's a gay couple with kids, look across the street, there's a lesbian couple with kids, look across the street, Neil Patrick Harris just had twins via surrogacy. And so just, I guess the the reality of the world forced me to look inside myself and go, is this really something you don't want or have you developed a personality around the fact that you don't want them because you can't? It was a really good friend of mine who said, is this because they've told you you can't so you've decided you can't or do you really not want this? There are so many people, heterosexual, homosexual, who just don't want to have kids and that's real. It's not any internalized anything, right? Right. But I think for me, and we've just talked about my story, always wanting to be a mother, working my whole life with children, knowing I was really good with them, having a fantasy of being an exceptional parent, I had to kind of look around me and go, okay, it's a possibility. This won't be as hard as you thought it was when you were 10 or even 20. Maybe you should rethink this. And Mm -hmm. I
0: did What, so, I mean, you note about um, the internalized homophobia too, but what about like imposter syndrome throughout the process of the surrogacy and yeah, being like new parents, how have you navigated that? Have you...
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: I mean, is it fair to say that you've experienced imposter syndrome as a parent?
1: I guess my husband had probably more than me, but maybe it's because... I always knew I'd be great at it. Yeah. I always knew I had the right mixture of empathy and creativity and patience and passion that would help me succeed. And by the time we had kids, I loved, or that's not true, I was really confident and comfortable that my community would accept me. Like, mm-hmm. again, the world had changed. And so I wasn't a fearful gay person living in Alabama or the Bush, right? I was living in New York city, Los Angeles or Sydney, mm-hmm. like in places where liberals are everywhere and they're accepting of queer people. So I wasn't constantly feeling like I'm going to be bad at this or I, maybe I won't be accepted So I don't know that I had that. I think, if anything, it was less internal and more like the external reality and and the confrontation of having to fill out forms and cross out mother or having people come up to me and ask where the mother was. Like Those moments were probably more powerful than anything inside. Because along this journey, when it gets difficult, I am constantly reminded, you are actually really good at this. You are actually meant to be a dad. You are a natural And so I just have to kind of like lead with that.
0: Mm, Are you surprised as to how, I guess, maybe how blunt or straightforward when you are out, cause you mentioned it in your book and there's that example of, um, it was picking up, you're picking up some garments, weren't you in the lollies and Stella got one and the, the assistant, the team assistant who was working at the register or whatever was like one for mummy. And just like, were you surprised as to how often or how, yeah, how blunt people can ask that, you know, in front of you?
1: Yeah. I say in my book that I felt really disappointed by Sydney. And of course it depends on what neighborhood you're in in Australia and what part of any accepting city around the world you live in. It's different in every interaction you have. But because I had lived in New York City and Los Angeles prior to moving to Sydney, I was just used to communities where the language had changed Mm. by the time i lived in la i think there was just an overriding expectation that there was the possibility someone was gay or lesbian just a possibility it didn't mean that everyone was but so people just constantly said partner and sometimes that can be confusing because someone's like my partner's at home and you're like what does that mean are you a lesbian or are you straight (laughs) but it just was a constant stream of more accepting language that left me feeling more comfortable in outing myself. And then I came to Sydney and it was almost like that script didn't exist. It was like people just constantly were direct and were like, where's your wife? Giving your wife a break. Oh, your wife must be so proud of you. Doctors, you know, you know, so I felt really disappointed I've learned to come to terms with the fact that it wasn't malicious. When you're in the deep South in America or maybe parts of the bush in this country, it might feel malicious because it might actually be people who just would rather, you know, where's your wife? And then you say, I have a husband and they go, disgusting, right? Like it is malicious. They only want there to be one option. And if you're anything other than that, they'll let you know. That wasn't the case here. These people always, almost always, minus you know minus four or five examples, would apologize and then course correct. Okay. Almost every time. It was just the fact that we were behind in our language, behind in our understanding. And why is that the case? Because there weren't examples. Mm. There weren't strong enough examples. Of course, this country had great examples of gay people and drag queens for literally decades. This country has been quite progressive in that case but those people weren't having children. So the Australian community had decided they are camp, they are fun, they party, they are part of nightlife. It is art, but they weren't people through the lens of parenthood really. Mm. And so it felt like I was a forced advocate in a time where I wasn't emotionally prepared or capable of it because I was sad and depressed. And so every day, and that's not an exaggeration, if every day, You're having to correct people and say, sorry, they don't have a, sorry, they don't have a, sorry, I don't have a, you know, constant, constant, constant. Yeah, of course you get down on yourself and you get down on your community and think, why don't you know better? You know, we're here. We can. It's legal. Mm. And then later on, I decided, well, I guess you're just going to have to be the first generation of people to help educate and change people's minds. And that's where we are today, where I feel very fine correcting people and making sure they're aware.
0: Yeah, I love I, I love that and that's such a great mindset for you and I like just knowing how many people that you have educated. Like that's pretty slow. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. Very yeah.
0: slay, very slow. What and uh, you mentioned the um you know with mother mothers groups and stuff, you know, I I feel like I'm obviously quite basic with stuff with this stuff because I don't have a kid. So there's a lot about parenthood that I don't really get and like I like I've got so many friends with babies that I'm like, so how do mothers groups work? Like how do they set you up with people? But what's it like for for queer parents and for, for two dads? Like yeah. how do those support networks exist? Do they exist? What have you had to do? Have you navigated that kind of space?
1: So if you have a child in Australia, and this is same in the UK and in America, your parenting group is directly given to you via the hospital that your children are born in it's different for every hospital sometimes it's a whatsapp group sometimes it's an email list sometimes it's a phone number but you're just connected with all the other parents who give birth in the same time period depending on the volume of people born it's you know a a month at a time so you might be in a parents group for all of the april babies or march babies and sometimes it's like quarters so it's three months and that's the parenting group The problem is, well, what happens if you relocate to a new country? I've heard from so many women who moved to Australia three months after their kids were born, nine months after their kids were born. We relocated when the twins were two months old. And so that group wasn't given to us. And so when I contacted the local hospital, they were just like confused. And maybe she seemed very busy that day. And I, I always sit up at night and wonder what would have happened if just a different person was on staff. But I have heard from a lot of women in particular that, yeah, it's just not designed to support people who have relocated. Even if you relocate from New South Wales to Victoria, you're basically on your own. So you can go onto the NewSouthWales.com website. You can do the same for Victoria, Queensland. It's all the same and go through the government sites to find the family and parent section. And now today, mothers groups, fathers groups, parents groups, LGBTQ plus groups, like they have various groups but it's specific to the regions. So up until literally this year, Canberra didn't have a queer parenting meetup group. And so if that was important to you, that just wasn't an option. So yeah, I guess the rude reality for me is you have to to do the work yourself if your child is not born at a hospital and not all people are in a good enough mental headspace to do that work. So if you are breastfeeding twins, which I was not, but you know, just imagine you're a straight person who's moved to a new state and you're breastfeeding and maybe you're left your work and you don't have any friends or family. Are you in the right mental headspace to, to find a parent to find friends? Damn, that's hard enough.
0: It is. Yeah.
1: And so, yeah, I, I struggled a lot and then just gave up and it took me going back to work to find friends. um, But I wasn't able to find them on my own by going to the playground. I did.
0: You did try. So what was, can you tell me about those experiences? So like when, what is it like when you like strike up conversations with other parents in the playground? Is it like, it sounds so scary.
1: (laughs) It's absolutely terrible. It's like so stressful. It's like dating, except it's happening in the wild and there's no prospect of sex at the end. So it's just (laughs) all the work and not the payoff. As far as modern parenting is concerned, you know, being in your twenties and also looking like you were, uh, you know, in your early twenties meant that people thought I was the babysitter or the nanny. And it, I got that confirmation a lot. They'd be like, how long have you been watching these kids? I'm like, since the day they were born. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just like kind of got ignored. I think I was also the usually the only dad during the week that was at the playgrounds. And you just like, it's so awkward. You're going up and you're trying to have small chat. And then how do you bring up the fact that you don't have a parenting group or how do you bring how do you ask if they're a part of one? And so oftentimes you'd get in these really good chats as is the case in your twenties when you're at a bar that you think, wow, this person could be my friend and then you just part ways and then nothing happens and you've just invested all this energy into a hopeful friendship. And so it was tricky. I the the one example I write about in my book is that there were these women who had the same hair color as the Sex and the City ladies. So I just called them the Sexless in the City ladies because I thought <laughs> that was funny. Um, and I just thought, okay, well, their kids are my kids' age, and they come here twice a week, and clearly they're locals because why would they be at this playground? And I'm seeing a pattern of them coming, and I'm always here. And I started to dream up that maybe I could be a part of their parenting group. We're all the same age. They seemed pretty cool. One of them had a like a a New York, or maybe it was like a Harvard jumper. And I thought, there's my in. And I asked one of the ladies after a really good interaction one day if I could join. And she just said, I'm really sorry, but no. Like we've decided as a group that we don't want men in this group. We wanna have private conversations about the intimacies of of postpartum life. And it stresses some of the group out. And that really felt like a slam and a door slammed in my face, not just for that group, but for some reason I decided this is how all women are going to feel, even though that is not the case, but that's Mm -hmm. how I felt in the moment. And I thought, you are gay, you've infiltrated a straight space, you are a man as a primary parent, and that's not normal. And of course, you're not going to be welcome. And so this is just going to be a road that you're going to have to traverse on your own. And so I just decided to do it by myself.
0: Wow, man, it's hard not to take it so personally. Yeah. So hard. How has social media helped in, you know, creating a support network for you? Um,
1: So when the kids were born, I worked in social media professionally. So I've actually worked in social media since it started. I've had I've been getting paid to work in social since 2010, um, in like a full agency social strategy capacity. And so by the time the kids were born in 2000 and when were they born 17, (laughs) (laughs) um, I loved the work, but didn't want to do it for a living. Like I didn't like the idea. I think anyone who works in social media or technology is usually like very anti it. And then I started posting, um, pictures and the audience started to grow because people are very interested in queer families because there aren't a ton of them. Mm. And through that work, got an audition to for a Mamma Mia podcast to host it. And then I got that. And then that got me an interview on the drum. And then that got me an interview on the No Filter podcast. And then, and then, and then, and then. And then, and then the next thing you know, you have You go from 200 followers to 2,000 and 2,000 to 10,000 and 10,000 to 30,000. And all of a sudden you have this community of all parents, which becomes, in many ways, a parenting group. And that saved me. Like so many of my parenting connections that I now have and hold true are from that phase of that parasocial relationship. It starts online and then it seeps its way into the real world. And it takes just as much work as you would expect to make those connections and see if there's, it's just like online dating. Mm -hmm. But I will say getting to see other parents struggling the same way I was getting to see women hear my story and go, Oh my God, we are the same. And I've been thinking the opposite, but clearly this isn't gender related. It's more about the role. Yes. And then more importantly, seeing other gay dads in this country also struggling to find parenting groups, it totally normalized my feelings and it was really helpful. It also gave me a full career, so I think the power of social to make connections wonderful. And then also, I was able to leave my job and dedicate myself fully to being a professional online parent.
0: So you've got Stella and Cooper, and you mentioned in the book about how you were extra conscious of bringing in feminine influences for her. So has has it been harder for you as a parent to have? a daughter? Are you finding there's more, more of that critique or expectation assumption or whatever honed in on having a daughter specifically?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. That was my concern. That was my bigger fear Mm -hmm. was I understand the lived experience of a man. Uh, I'll be able to help sons easier through puberty, through life experience, dating women or men, like whatever. I feel like I can handle this because I've lived through it they are more likely to want to come to me because we look the same. Um, and what's funny is I'm so much better suited to be a father to a daughter. Yeah, well,
0: I mean, even just think like I think that's obvious to me about the way in which you were so aware of your mother's role and how, how much you, you know, appreciated her. Like, that's obvious to me. But for some people who, I mean, obviously haven't re- read your book or whatever, like...
1: It's obvious as far as me, I think my concern was always her. So like, I don't know who this daughter will be. Mm. I don't know how comfortable or not comfortable she's going to be with having two dads. She'll go through phases, but is she going to feel comfortable coming to me when there's a problem with her vagina? Is she, as she goes through puberty, going to want to ask me the questions? And so I think a lot of my concerns were wrapped up in that. Like my interests, my excitement around life is very feminine. It's fashion, it's hair, it's beauty, it's makeup, it's singing and dancing. And I danced my whole career. I went to school for dance. I was a professional dancer surrounded by women. I'm incredibly crafty and hands-on and love art and makeup and hair. And that's just who I am. That has nothing to do with parenting. That's just Sean. And so if you have a mm. daughter who is feminine, then, you've, then you're have then you totally prepared and gender doesn't matter. So like this weekend, Stella and I went and got our nails done. That's because she wants to get her nails done. And I like going to the nail salon. So it's perfect.
0: That is so perfect. It is
1: great. And there are so many women who hate that shit. There are so many women who don't know how to do a plat. I do. There are so many women who can't do nails, complicated designs. I can. Yeah. There are so many women who don't like dancing, who can't sing. And I can do those things. So it's like, I have girlfriends who are like, can you take my daughter to the nails? Can you plait my daughter's hair? I love that. Again, it's nothing to do with gender. It's interest. It's passion. Where that is not so black and white is when it comes to the natural biology of a woman. So my daughter got sand in her vagina uh, at three years old. And she comes up to me at the beach and is like, it's sensitive. That's a first time experience for her. That's a normal lived experience of a girl who's ever been to the beach is the bathing suits, getting sand in there and knowing what to do with it. Well, when she asks me, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I don't know, babe. I really don't.
0: <laughs> You're like, can't relate. <laughs>
1: I, you know what I would have said if I had just trusted my gut, let's go to the shower and get some soap and clean it out. That's what I honestly would have thought, which is clear, not the recommended advice. Do not do this at home, man. <laughs> so what did I do? I said, why don't you go ask your aunt? And so Stella runs across the beach. She asks her aunt. They have a special bonding moment where they share that knowledge. We had a UTI problem. I called my best friend Zoe. I was like, hey, girl, this is what we're experiencing. Here's the leakage. What should I do? An important part of being a human, this is not gender specific, male or female, is knowing that you don't have to have all the answers. A lot of parents think they do. Yeah, yeah. They think they must. Well, I'm the mother. I must have the answers for my son. No, no, no. You actually succeed when you take a step back and go, am I the right person for the job? And if I'm not, can I ensure that my children feel that they have access to people who are the right people
0: for the job? I love this. This is so, so like what Esther Perel actually talks about with relationships and what we, how much we weigh on your one partner. But usually, when you get different needs, like it takes a village. So if you've created a village for for Stella, like as you know, having different roles, people having different roles, exactly. what's the issue? You know, that's what it is about.
1: You're right, and I think it also takes pressure off you. Hell yeah! I know so many single mothers who feel this pressure if they're raising boys and feeling like they have to be the mother and the father. No, you just have to be yourself and give them everything you have. Love's the most important thing. And if they have questions that are very, very specific to their gender or their biology or their sex make it is your job to make sure that they feel comfortable and have a relationship with someone that they can go to and so my daughter will absolutely call and say can i she's having problems with her hair because it's really thick and gets naughty. i have really thick long knotty hair i can answer her question we have the same biology but she wanted to call my sister awesome let's get your aunt on the phone fantastic Less on me to be the one who has to have all the answers.
0: Yeah. Like
1: you said, then the village is formed. And as she gets older, all the reasons why we don't want all of us connected to one person, which is what you were just talking about in relationship is true in life. What if I'm not there? What if I'm on a plane? What if I die? What if I'm sick? What if her and I aren't talking? Those connections need to have been made. And then over time she starts to feel a specific ownership of her, of her body and of answers. And what she knows most importantly is that I'm always there to facilitate that if she needs it.
0: Love that. Love that so much. What advice like, would you give to aspiring queer parents? And then what advice would you give to your reggies like just you know your girlies who are in just heteros like who who aren't exposed to you know queer parenting and you know i feel like so many people are going to get so much out of this podcast but yeah let's start with your advice for aspiring queer parents based on your lived experience
1: i think there are a couple things to consider the first is where you live and who you're surrounded by i am not a fan of leaving behind a a homophobic community and running away to a safer one. I think if we can, we should try to build up our small communities to be more accepting. But you might be strong as an individual. When you become a parent, it's not about you anymore. It's about the next generation, your children. And so ensuring that they live around people who are accepting is, I think, really important. It makes parenting easier. It makes their lived experience more enjoyable. And so thinking about where you're gonna raise your children is something that's important for everyone. The color of your skin, the ability or lack of ability of your children, if they're not able-bodied, if they're neurodivergent, like who is the community is surrounded by and are we ensuring that they're going to be more likely to be accepted? So one of the things I always say to other queer people is, do you live in a safe space? Do you feel safe on a day-to-day basis? Because that is probably going to be extrapolated times 10 when it comes to little kids and bullying. That's not always possible for everyone. So I think the next thing I would say is where's your village and have you created it before you have children? Mm -hmm. I think the theme through this conversation has been today I'm able to look back at my time as a parent in my early 30s, and constantly say, I could have done it better. I could have done this better. I wish I had done this. But the reality is when you're a sleep deprived human, you can't think clearly. That is not the time to build solutions. That is not the time to build a community that needs to happen when you're getting sleep Mm. before the kids come. And so if you're in a community and you don't feel like you have a bunch of connections, or maybe you're the only gay in the village or you only know one other person who's gay, you need to start to build those connections. They don't have to be queer. My, my community is not all queer. Mm. But building that village early on is going to make the parenting experience easier when you are the odd person out, because you will be. You just have to prepare yourself. Don't go in with rose-colored glasses that when you go to the doctor, the forms are going to say parent and parent. They're not. You're going to have to cross out mom When you fill out the census, guess what? It's going to be confusing that you can't self-identify as gay. And that's going to hurt a little bit. Mm. I just went to fill out a passport for my my parent and my children. And the hoops that we had to jump through because the system still is waiting for a biological mother, it was embarrassing. It was insulting. It was depressing. And yet it's going to happen. Mm. And so don't just blindly walk in and go, the world is going to be fully accepting of me. That's not the case. And so if you're prepared for that, it is easier. It actually is. And that's why I think a book like mine is useful. Like pick it up, read it, follow queer parents online mm-hmm. so you can see what they struggle with so that when it happens to you, you go, you know what? I expected this, but that's okay. Things are getting better. So that's queer. Yep. Straight people, allies, straight parents. My book is for straight people. That's who I wrote it for. It's not for queer people. It's to give you an insight. I think... It's really powerful to, in short, ask yourself this question. When I'm scrolling on my Instagram each day, or TikTok, or threads, does everyone I follow and the friends I hang out with look like me? Are all of your girlfriends white and and within a three-age period and all from Sydney? Mm -hmm. Just ask yourself that question. And to be honest, almost all of us, the answer is yes. I surround myself with people like me. The reason I bring that up is... We almost always talk in an echo chamber.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We post on social media, and then like 33 people go, Yes, Slay Queen, you're so right. We're not confronted by opposition. And usually it's because we don't surround ourselves. And this is not a white person problem. This is an everyone problem, right? Just go to the supermarket and like, or uh, the mall and just look around. Like, we all collect together, usually with people who look like us and have the same sexual orientation as us because it's safer. But I think that that decreases the likelihood of sympathy and empathy for people who are different. And so I say, if that is not your face-to-face cohort, use social media as an opportunity to have varied experiences and opinions about things. It's challenging, but I find that as I broaden my social media sphere to, to follow people who are very different than me, I naturally become less Mm closed-minded. I'm less likely to develop an opinion that I actually, it's not my own. I want straight women who are moms to pick up the book and go, his story is my story. And because I've now learned that, I am forced to challenge if it is actually a man versus woman problem in the parenting world, us versus them, or... If we're just using gender as a crutch and it's more about roles. And so I think, yeah, it's obviously a long winded way to say, ask yourself, do you have varied experiences that you're learning from and hearing from each day? And if the answer is no, it's really easy. It's just follow, 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 follow. Ask your friends who's your favorite body positivity activist online. Who's your favorite person of color in Australia? Who's your favorite Aboriginal creator? Who's your favorite queer? And just follow them and just sit with a varied experience. That to me is such a massive takeaway in life is I guarantee you, you will become a better person because when we have opportunities to hear people who are different, we become more empathetic and that is something we all should have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sean, I have loved talking so much, and again, I feel like I could ask you a million questions. But oh, actually, finally, just general vibe check on thirties. Would recommend
1: highly recommend. This has been the most exciting <laughs> decade of my life so far. Uh, I think I think aging is beautiful. I think learning more about yourself is fabulous. I think stepping into your power with money, stepping into your power and relationships, having learned and lived a little bit longer. I don't know a single person in their 60s, 70s, or 80s who doesn't acknowledge and admit that with age comes wisdom and that's powerful, as long as you're doing the work. And so for me, the thirty, my 30s mm. have been about doing more work, going to therapy, showing up, analyzing, critiquing, you know, And that's been so beautiful. The layer of having children has been fantastic because in my 30s, I've started to truly understand the circle of life and how much my parents did for me and how hard it was. And I think the weight of your shoulders of starting to see your parents as more real people is powerful. And so I just highly anticipate the rest of my 30s being better than my 20s and then my 40s being better than my 50s being because I'm going to learn and grow. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
0: It's a stunning result. Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. It was lovely to talk. If you want to connect with Sean, I've got his Instagram in the show notes of this episode, as well as a link to purchase his book. It is amazing. It's called Not Like Other Dads. And yeah, this conversation was really just like a taste of so much more that he covers in his own memoir. And as you heard, it is a book that he wants heterosexual parents to read. So I highly recommend. I've read it and I really enjoyed it. Um, thank you so much for listening to Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustwait. This podcast has been created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Nation and it's an entirely independent project so if you love what you're hearing I would totally appreciate uh, you sharing it with friends and reviewing and rating it one woman show uh, takes a, takes a bit of work but I love doing it so I'm very grateful to have this platform and yeah I will catch you next week until then bye